0: Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 39, verses 17 through 26. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, and Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed with a man which was taken with a palsy, And they sought means to bring him in, and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop, and led him down through the tiling, with his couch, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisee began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering, said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye shall know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up the couch, and go unto thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Burkett notes, As the great end of our Savior's miracles was to confirm his doctrine, so commonly after his preaching he wrought his miracles. The scribes and Pharisees, though they had no love for our Savior's person, nor value for his ministry, yet they frequently accompanied him wherever he went, partly to cavil at his doctrine, and partly out of curiosity to see his miracles. But observe the gracious condescension of our Savior, although he well knew that the Pharisees at this time attended upon him with no good intention, yet he put forth his divine power in working miracles before them the power of the Lord was present to heal. Not that Christ's power was at any time absent, but it is said now to be present because it was now exerted and put forth at his will and pleasure. Accordingly, at this time, before the Pharisee's eyes, he miraculously cures a person sick of the palsy, as the paragraph before does inform us. Wherein observe one, the diseased and distressed person, one sick of the palsy, which being resolution and weakness of the nerves, enfeebles the joints and confines a person to his bed or couch. As a demonstration of Christ's divine power, he was pleased to single out the palsy and leprosy, incurable diseases to work a cure upon. Now this person was so great a cripple by reason of the palsy that he could not go nor be led, but was carried in his bed or couch. Observe too. As the grievousness of the disease, so the greatness of the people's faith. The man and his friends had a firm and full persuasion that Christ was clothed with the divine power and able to help him. And they hoped in his goodness that he was willing as well as able. And accordingly, the roof of the Jewish houses being flat, they were uncovered some part of it and let the bed down with the sick man in it and lay him at the foot of Christ in hopes of help and healing." Observe three, that no sooner did they exercise their faith in believing, but Christ exerts his divine power in healing. Yet the object of their faith probably was not Christ's divine power as God, but they looked upon him as an extraordinary prophet, to whom God had communicated such divine power as Elijah or Eliza had before him. Yet see the marvelous efficacy even of this faith, which obtained not only what was desired, but more than was expected. They desired only the healing of the body, but Christ heals the body and the soul, too, saying, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Thereby our Savior signifies to them that sin is the meritorious cause of sickness, and consequently that in sickness the best way to find ease and deliverance from pain is to first seek for pardon. For the sense of pardon will, in some degree, take away the sense of pain. Observe 4 the exception which the pharisees take against our savior for pronouncing that this man's sins were forgiven him they charge him with blasphemy urging that it's god's particular prerogative to pardon sin indeed their proposition was true but their application was false nothing more true than that it is the highest blasphemy for any mere man to arrogate and assume to himself the incommunicable property of god absolutely and authoritatively to forgive sin but then they're denying this power to Christ of forgiving sins, which He had as God from all eternity, and as Mediator, God and Man in one person, when here on earth. This was blasphemy in them, but the assuming and challenging in it none in Him. Observe five to cure, if possible, the obstinacy and blindness of the Pharisees. Our Savior gives them a twofold demonstration of His Godhead: one, by letting them understand that He knew their thoughts. Jesus perceived their thoughts. Verse 22. To know the thoughts, to search the hearts, and understand the reasoning of men, is not in the power of angels or men, but the prerogative of God only. Two, by assuming to himself a power to forgive sins. For our Savior here, by taking upon him to forgive sins in his own name and by his own authority, thus give the world an undeniable proof and a convincing evidence of his Godhead. For who can forgive sins but God only? Observe six, the effect which this miracle had upon the minds of the people. They marveled and were amazed, were filled with fear, but not with faith, astonished, but did not believe. Learn hence that the sight of Christ's own miracles is not sufficient to work faith in the soul without the efficacious grace of God. The one may make us marvel, the other must make us believe. Verses 27-32 through And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, sitting at the receipt of customs. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus, answering, said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Burkett notes, The number of our Lord's apostles, not being filled up, Observe one, what a free and gracious, what an unexpected and undeserved choice Christ makes. Levi, that is Matthew, for he had both names, a grinding publican who gathered the tax for the Roman emperor, was probably guilty, as others were, of the sins of covetousness and extortion, yet he is called to follow Christ as a special disciple. Learn hence that such is the freeness of divine grace that it sometimes calls and converts sinners unto Christ when they think not of him, nor seek unto him. Little did Levi now think of a Savior, much less seek after him, yet he is called here by him, and that with an efficacious call. Matthew, a publican, Zacharias, an extortioner, Saul, a prosecutor, all these are effectually called by Christ as instances and evidences of the mighty power of converting grace. Observe too, Levi or Matthew's ready compliance with Christ's call. He presently arose and followed him. Where the inward call of the Holy Spirit accompanieth the outward call of the word, the soul readily complies and yields obedience to the voice of Christ. Our Savior, says the pious Bishop Hall, speaks by his word to our ears, and we hear not, we stir not. But when he speaks by his spirit efficaciously to our breasts, Satan cannot hold us down. The world shall not keep us back, but we shall with Levi instantly arise and follow our Savior. Observe three Levi, to show his thankfulness to Christ, makes him a great feast. Christ invited Levi to a discipleship. Levi invites Christ to a dinner. The servant invites his master. A sinner invites his savior. A better guest he could not invite. Christ always comes with his cost with him. We do not find that when Christ was invited to any table, he ever refused to go. If a publican, if a Pharisee invited him, he constantly went. Not so much for the pleasure of eating as for the opportunity of conversing and doing good. Christ feasts us when we feed him. Levi, to give Christ a pledge and specimen of his love, makes him a feast. Learn hence that new converts are full of affection towards Christ and very expressive of their love unto him. Levi's heart, being touched with a sense of Christ's rich love, makes him a royal feast. Observe 4. The cavil and exception with the scribes and Pharisees make it our Lord's free conversation. They censure him for conversing with sinners. Malice will never want matters of accusation. Our Savior justifies himself, telling them that he conversed with sinners as their physician, not as their companion. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. As if our Lord had said, With whom should a physician converse but with a sick patients? And is he to be accused for that? Now this is my case. I am come into the world to do the office of a kind physician unto men. Surely then, I am to take all opportunities of conversing with them, that I may help and heal them. For they that are sick need the physician. But as for you, scribes and Pharisees, who are well and whole in your own opinion and conceit, I have no hopes of doing good upon you. For such as think themselves whole, desire not the physician's help. Now from this assertion of our Savior, the whole need not the physician, but the sick, these truths are suggested to us. 1. That sin is the soul's malady its spiritual disease and sickness. Two, that Christ is the physician appointed by God for the cure and healing of this disease. Three, that there are multitudes of sinners spiritually sick who yet think themselves sound and whole. Four, that such and only such as find themselves sin-sick and spiritually diseased are subjects capable of Christ's healing. They that are whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. I come not, says Christ, to call the opinionatively righteous, but the sensible sinner to repentance. Verses 33-39 to 39. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often, and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast, while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved." No man, also having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith, The old is better. Burkett Notes An objection is here made against the disciples of our Savior, that they do not fast so much and so often as John Baptist's disciples did. John's disciples imitated their master, who was a man of an austere life. Christ's disciples imitated him, who was of a more free conversation, Observe, therefore, our Savior's defense, which he makes for the not-fasting of his disciples. He declares that at the present it was neither suitable nor tolerable, not suitable in regard of Christ's bodily presence with them, who, being their bridegroom and his disciples' children of the bride chamber, it was now a day of joy and rejoicing to them, and mourning and fasting would be very improper for them. But when the bridegroom shall be taken away, that is, Christ's bodily presence removed, then there will be cause enough for the disciples to fast and mourn. Learn hence, one, that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of his spouse, the church. Two, this bridegroom was to be taken away. Three, that because of the bridegroom's removal, the church did, shall, and must fast. The day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, and then they shall fast. Again, our Savior declares that this discipline of fasting was not at present tolerable for his disciples, for they were at present raw, green, and tender, unable to bear the severities and rigors of religion, any more than an old garment can bear a piece of new cloth to be set into it, or any more than old bottles can bear new wines to be put into them. The sense of our Savior's words seems to be this, My disciples at present are tender and weak, newly called and converted, They cannot, therefore, at present, undergo the austerities of religion, fasting, weeping, and watching. But ere long I shall leave them, and go to heaven, from whence I will send down my Holy Spirit upon them, which will enable them to all the duties that the gospel enjoins. The lesson of instruction which we may probably gather from hence is this, that it is hurtful and dangerous for young converts, for weak Christians, to be put upon the severe exercises of religion or to be urged to the performance of all such duties as are above their strength. But they ought to be treated with that tenderness which becomes the mild and gentle dispensation of the gospel. Our Savior, says one, does here commend prudence to his ministers in treating their people according to their strength and putting them upon duties according to their time and standing. We must consult what progress our people have made in Christianity and manage accordingly.